All right, do we see? All right, so now, all right, so now he's in under David. He's in the chat. Let me invite you now. Invite his speaker. See if that works. You should have just gotten an invite to speak. Yeah. There yeah, it is. is. Hold on. Let me turn this off. Can you still hear me now? Yes, we can, sir. Okay. I'm on my phone. It seems like the only access I can get is from my phone. So let me just get my earbud. I'm going to sure. get earbud so it won't be so crappy, but I might have to go ask my daughter. <laughs> you actually, you actually, so you actually sound fine. Um, for whatever, well, we didn't know this till now, but Podbean actually operates much better just using a phone. Um, you know, I installed it on my computer, which was actually a pain in the butt. But um, yeah, I should have definitely mentioned that to you. Um, you sound fine. If you want to get headphones or a Bluetooth, uh, feel feel free to do I'm that. I'm going to see if I can't find. I might not even be. And otherwise, I'll just go into a room and keep it relatively quiet. Yeah, yeah you sound you sound yeah, you sound great. Right, you just whatever yeah. you're doing. So you sound great now, but whatever you want to do. You know what? I'll just go back into my room now and I'll, I'll, I'll forget about it. I think I've got enough juice in my iPhone. The only, my only concern is I might pick up the kids' noise more than, uh, more than it should, but whatever. You, you, might, you might have got two other people <laughs> in my house here. Okay, let's, just, let's just do it. There they are. All right, so what I'm going to do is here just for, uh, for us so we can all see the chat in front of us. Um, I'm going to put here, so what, what do we have here? What do we have? What do you have? Okay, so we have uh, for topics here, because I know you got to go by seven. I have Trump, FBI, comma, um, uh, COVID, comma, free speech. One of the big questions me and Mark want to ask you is the free speech in Canada as compared to the U.S., if you know, or just free speech in Canada. Oh, go ahead. I've lived through the comparison now. It's, uh, it's Perfect. Astonishing. Perfect. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and throw those four topics right in the middle of the chat right there. And what we'll do guys is, um, give me, um, so just give me, so I can get a start time going. I'm going to start at seven 15 for me. So I'm going to go silent here in about the next, uh, 10 seconds. Uh, just so we got a little intro and I will come back on, introduce us, say the time. And then, uh, David, do you want me to say David Frey, Frey hate? But phonetically, it's like the two words, fry and height. Fry and okay, height. Okay, so I'm going to get that. So fry and height? Yeah. Okay, got it. So David Fry Height. All right, Scott, so I will pronounce that. So David Fry Height, got it. All right, going to change my time to 735. And here we go, three, two, one. And we're going to go silent. All right. All right, so good evening. Welcome to everyone in the live cast and everyone who's with us tonight and going to listen to this on the podcast. Tonight we have David Freiheit with us. You know him probably better as Viva Frey and um, or Viva Fry, I should probably say. Um, but I will figure that out in a second once once David introduces himself. Uh, you know, two feds in the truth. Me, Mark, and Julia were all big fans. Super excited. 
to have David in the free state of Florida. He lives like 10 miles from me. So uh, we're definitely going to meet up. Uh, you know, it's going to be fun. And uh, he went to the courthouse this week uh, when uh, Trump was having the hearing with the government, with the United States totalitarian government that we have of the search warrant, right? So we're going to talk about President Trump. We're going to talk about the search warrant. We're going to talk about Mar-a-Lago. And we're going to talk about since uh, Viva is from Canada and now he's in Florida, you know, we are curious from, from such an esteemed lawyer and uh, now my colleague and hopefully friends to tell us, you know, some of the differences between the First Amendment that we have here in America, which, you know, I think we all know from the get go just, you know, has a lot, lot more area for us to speak uh, than there is in Canada. But definitely want to hear it from from David and, you know, what, you know, what it was like, you know, being up there with Trudeau. And uh, I'm glad that David's down here in Florida. And, uh, you know, I know that he likes it. We chatted on the phone a few times. So with that being said, David, Viva, you're the man, you're the guest tonight. We're, we're so honored to have you. Uh, for people that don't know you, if, if they're not in the legal world or if they're living under a rock, uh, feel free to uh, go ahead and Introduce yourself to everyone in the live cast tonight, sir. Go ahead. All right. First of all, Andrew, thank you for having me. Uh, it's it's super cool. I'm not used to live audio only, although I've, I've, I've done a bunch of radio, so I, it, it's all coming back to me now. I don't have to worry. My, my hair is wet, so my afro is not there, and, and nobody's going to see it to make fun of me. Um, so the 30,000-foot overview for who I am, David Fry height, Viva Fry, Montreal, born and raised, youngest of five kids. Uh, four of the five kids turned out to be lawyers. My father's a lawyer. I practiced actively for sworn in in 2007, did my internship in 2006. So I had a good 13 years of active practice. Uh, so I'm not just someone with a degree who got into this YouTube world uh, without actually having meaningful litigation experience. I did commercial litigation only in Quebec, uh, was certified for the province of Quebec and federal laws throughout Canada, but not common law in other provinces because we have two different systems in Canada. And uh, at one point in time, I, 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 I decided I'm, I'm leaving law. I, I can't stand it. If I see the inside of a courtroom again as a lawyer, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I, I, I just couldn't stand it. And I said, if I'm doing this in 10 years, uh, I'm going to be a very unhappy 50-year-old. So I, I Jumped off this cliff known as getting into YouTube, grew my wings as I flew, fell down, and uh, luckily it panned out <laughs> despite despite all odds. Yeah, that's awesome. You have you have hit the ground running. I was talking to Mark today. Um, you know, just just millions of views over on YouTube, and uh, I was watching you this week when you were over at the courthouse, which was only a few miles from from where I work, and. Um, you know, lots of stuff going on. And, you know, let's let's just jump right into it. Um, you know, as as you've been down here. Well, let's go with this. What have you seen when you lived in Canada? And now that you've come down to Florida, you've been here. What's the biggest difference you've seen about especially during the times with the Hong Kong going up in COVID and Justin Trudeau and all of that happening up there? Um, really culturally and legally, what's the biggest difference that hits you? when you moved down to Florida um, and then you said, wow, you know, there's obviously some sort of difference from Canada, I would think. Um, what were your first impressions? Okay. So, you know, in Canada, we have some stereotypes of Americans. Uh, and I say we as in Canada as a collective, not me as an individual. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Gun-toting, 
Texan, you know, Wild West is, is, the, is the way Americans are generally depicted stereotypically in Canada. Uh, right. I, 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 like, I have family that's American. I'm, I'm, more, I, I'm more aware of the reality in America above and beyond the stereotype. That being said, Florida has a stereotype of its own everywhere in the world, but in Canada especially. You know, you hear about people wrestling alligators. You, you hear a crazy story. You say, it's got to be Florida. Um, yes. And Florida is, is it's unique. Uh, it's unique in the people's love for freedom, the, the people's love for as little government uh, invasion as possible. And yes. what made Florida sort of call it the object of jokes and stereotypes and funny, you know, funny things in movies is what makes it one of the last bastions for freedom against what has become basically a global phenomenon of absolute government overreach into all aspects of, of, of human civilian life. Um, we, Canada... People, uh, Canada, I, the distinction is this, it's rights versus privileges. And can, Canada and Canadians, for the most part, tend to view what are viewed as constitutional, God-given rights in the United States as government-attributed privileges in Canada. You know, your freedom of speech, you have freedom of speech under the charter, but, you know, not if it's hate speech, not if it's what people call hate speech, not if it makes people uncomfortable. And so we're much, much quicker as a culture in Canada to accept infringements on what are what are or ought to be considered rights because we tend to view them as privileges that are granted by the government subject to the greater good despite not knowing what the greater good is or despite not knowing that the greater good is individual rights and coming down here it's a different world you know culturally uh covid wise if canadians came down here some would have an anxiety attack because they would see people without masks not social distancing living life as normal compared to you know the, the terror that they have been traumatized into living through for the last two years in Canada. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's we are we are absolutely happy to get that. And you know, we've always noticed a difference. Um and I know that Mark was Mark was recently in Canada, so he had some fun up there. He's up there for a for a weekend or so. Real quick on the takes, I know we want to go to Trump and the FBI uh, oh. search warrant. What was your take on the truckers up in Canada and Trudeau using his emergency powers to essentially bring out the tactical units and crush that? Trudeau is a, is a fascist tyrant. I, I'm, not, I'm not mincing my words with this anymore. People, I, I get into fights with people on the internet or fights, disagreements where they say, he's not a dictator, he was democratically elected. I think, first of all, the mark of a dictator is not signing a resolution in parliament decreeing that he's a dictator. He is a fascist dictator in the, in the purest of the senses in that he's bought off the media to do his bidding for him. He, he behaves in a demagogic uh, manner. He suppresses basic freedoms. He resorts to threats, violence, and intimidation. He is a fascist tyrant. The suppression of that protest brought out and brought to the realization of a bunch of people that the Canadian media lies through its teeth. It is subsidized by the government that gets it to lie for the government's benefit. Uh, the misinformation on that protest, I, I know there's a lot of misinformation and media hype about January 6th. Uh, put, you know, put steroids in that is the degree of misinformation about the Ottawa protest. It was nothing even close to a January 6th. And that, bear in mind that January 6th wasn't anything close to what the media says it was or what that congressional hearing makes it out to be. And he came in with a militarized police force, literally busted skulls, literally detonated uh, concussive grenades, pepper sprayed, mm -hmm. beat people up, jailed people indefinitely. 
Uh, I've got nothing nice to say about Justin Trudeau other than he is the best prime minister to sink Canada in record time than any prime minister in Canada has, has ever been able to do. Yeah, I remember watching some of the stuff down here and we were talking about it with Mark and Julia and we were watching it where the horses came out and, you know, they ran over the uh, the elderly lady. And, and yep. it was just and, you know, we had a lot of Canadians in our Twitter spaces and we were talking about, you know, this could be your time to stand up at some point. Trudeau's going to do that. But you know what? It is what it is. You know, we're glad you're down here. Let's move on because I know that we have limited time. Let's let, let's go right to Trump and the FBI search warrant. So, um, yeah. you know, as you know, you've been covering it up there as well. Uh, Biden's in power. 2020 election is what it is at this point. We've had two states, I believe, Arizona and Wisconsin, if I'm correct. Julia can correct me if I'm wrong, that have decertified their electoral votes. So, you know, that's in the process. I'm not saying Trump's coming back anytime soon. First time would be 2024. Right. But, you know, we currently have um, a, a president and an attorney general in Merrick Garland who has fully weaponized the Department of Justice where I used to work has fully weaponized the FBI. And at this point, you have them essentially, you know, getting a search warrant from Judge Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt, who I used to work with, who was a prosecutor with me at the time of Jeffrey Epstein, and then wound up defending the Epstein criminal enterprise a little bit after that. Now he's a federal magistrate, and he's now hearing um, this case. Uh, you know, he was the one that signed off on the search warrant. So, you know, lots of interesting backbone, I'm sorry, backbones, a lot of interesting uh, backstories back story. and back channels on this. And, um, you know, what is your take on essentially Merrick Garland, the attorney general, going after another political opponent who, who seems to be as we as we talk now, the front runner for 2024. Andrew, my, my take is uh, in line with a recent Rasmussen poll that just came out today that said something like 67 percent of Republicans, 50 percent of uh, independents and 30 percent of Democrats think that Joe Biden is using the FBI and the Justice Department like his personal Gestapo. It, it's it is it's so obscene and it's so over the top and it's so outrageous the degree to which this corruption has been normalized. This is the same FBI which falsified, through their counsel, falsified evidence. I know your viewers are all going to know this. Falsified evidence to submit it to a secret FISA court to spy on the Trump campaign through Carter Page. It's the same FBI. Five years later now, they're going for, I don't know what number kick at the can they are. The same FBI that has been corrupt since its history, but in your face corrupt, within the Trump presidency specifically for going after him. Um, now doing it again, you got this magistrate, Reinhardt, who a month and a half ago recused himself from one of the, from this file involving Trump and the Clintons for obvious reasons, doesn't recuse himself from this, signs off on a, yet again, another secret warrant effectively, uh, goes to raid the president, former president's house. I mean, you would, it's over the top obscene, but it's so egregious it's almost like a, a form of propaganda where they say, you know, make, make up a, a lie so outrageous that people would think no person in their right mind would make up such a lie so outrageous. And they're doing it. It's basically conduct yourselves in a manner that is so outrageous that people would have to say nobody would be this outrageous unless they had a good reason and sort of fabricate the reason for it. It's it's preposterous. I went to the hearing to hear, you know, they they. they uh, the Justice Department is playing 
uh, transparency, like it's a game of three card Monty. They'll, they'll show you the stuff that they want to show you about the warrant, about the list of the exhibit seized, but they won't show you the other stuff that might show you that you were screwed from the beginning and they were out to get you from the beginning. Uh, they're, they're opposing releasing the affidavit. Uh, obvious arguments, you know, it'll compromise the ongoing investigation. Same, same rubbish they did with the Russia hoax for three years. Um, and we'll see. But it's, it's just corruption through and through on its face. The, uh, a judge who defended and, and got a very suspiciously good uh, plea deal for some of the alleged co-conspirators in, in Epstein recuses himself from a file involving Trump, a civil matter, Trump and the Clintons, a month and a half ago, signs off on this warrant, unheard of, unprecedented, at the request of the same FBI that less than five years ago literally falsified evidence to a secret FISA court. And some people say, yeah, better believe Garland when he says the FBI is trustworthy, patriotic, and just doing their jobs. So we've, uh, Viva, we've, we've seen Trump have, you know, the Russia gate. We've seen him impeached twice, all these processes, right? Uh, this to me seems completely different. This seems like it's actually, you know, Department of Justice. You know, you understand this. You can't, you can't get a search warrant. You can't apply and get one signed by a judge or magistrate without probable cause that a crime has occurred. So what, what's the difference here? Is this going to move the needle at all? Does this make Trump done? Does this harm him? You know, especially considering maybe an impending indictment. Or is this just par the course for him and it's just going to make him stronger? Well, from what I understand constitutionally, even if they indict him, which they seem hell-bent on doing constitutionally, it won't preclude him from running for president again. As far as I understand it, it's a constitutional requirement that can't be, that can't be changed. Um, but you know, that's, that's, I, I'm not going to say it's a talking point. That's the argument. You know, they, 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 a, a magistrate wouldn't sign off on the warrant unless they felt that there was probable cause. And, and Reinhardt said that uh, in the hearing yesterday. He says, uh, this is not suspected probable cause. I saw it. I issued the warrant. There's probable cause. But that's, that's the version 2.0 of Kleinsmith falsifying evidence to go to a secret FISA court to get the renewal of a spy, a spy warrant. Surely they wouldn't have renewed it if they didn't have sufficient evidence. Oh, they had sufficient evidence. It's just that in that case, it happened to be absolutely falsified by the FBI's own lawyer, who, by the way, wasn't disbarred for life, didn't go to jail for years like Roger Stone, retroactive one-year suspension back at the practice. So I'm sure, you know, in the ordinary run of things, you don't get a warrant without probable cause. In the ordinary run of things, you don't get a warrant to ransack the residence of the former president of the United States without extreme probable cause. Uh, so I'll be curious to see what's in that affidavit, what they release and what they don't release. But my sneaking suspicion, there's a big fat stinking nothing burger in that affidavit. Uh, I think the judge probably knows it. And so the, what they're going to have to redact versus uh, make public is going to have to show enough to ostensibly justify it, but not all of it to show that, you know, it couldn't be justified. So keep some redactions to maintain the mystery. Uh, but, but the truth will come out. The sunlight will disinfect this festering wound. Uh, I don't think Trump comes out weaker. If they go absolutely ballistic and, and, and proceed with an indictment, uh, they're, they're, they're just going to discredit themselves in ways that is currently being reflected within the general population, such that, to the point, that 37% of Democrats allegedly feel, if you believe the Rasmussen poll, that Biden's using the Justice Department like his personal Gestapo. So, 
you know, like I said, we've seen all these different Trump dramas, I'll call them, right? Whether they're dramas or not, you know, the media, the government, you know, uh, anti-Trumpers have all said it, right? Is this one going to be any different? Is this going to move the needle? Because it seems to me after four years of a Trump presidency, you know, almost a year and a half, you know, post-Trump presidency, you know, uh, the people have either made up their mind. They're either pro-Trump, anti-Trump. Is this any different? Is this going to do anything? It's, it's funny, actually. I think it's moving the needle in the other way. Uh, and I'm not trying to dunk or dump on Sam Harris uh, for what he just said recently. You know, like Trump is such a threat. You have to hide the truth about the Biden crime family to, to get him in office. But, you know, w- when Sam Harris said that, you got the Jimmy Doors out there, people on the left saying, no, this is not justifiable just because you like the way it's being used right now. A lot of people in the middle are realizing this has gone too far. You're going to have your diehard TDS individuals who they'll either choose to believe the lies or they're going to choose to accept the corruption because it's directed against an existential threat to them. But there's a lot of people who are actually either mildly reasonable or being severely red-pilled in real time to the point that, you know, a month ago, Could you imagine uh, mainstream American society saying defund the FBI or disband the FBI? I suspect not. And now it's becoming something that is being, you know, much more uh, favorably viewed as far as, you know, an actual reasonable prospect for the future. Uh, It's going to galvanize the base of the of the uh, the GOP for the midterms. And if they if they keep pushing this envelope, it's going to you know, permanently discredit the institution for anybody with a remotely open mind, but not for the 15 to 20% rabid base that just want to see this happen, hell or high water. Definitely agree with that, Viva. I want to jump back to a point that crypto is making um, with regards to something that you that many weren't able to do the other day, and that was the fact that you made it into the West Palm Beach Federal Courthouse. (laughs) You were able to see Judge Bruce Reinhardt in action. Um, I did listen to your YouTube video on this. You said there were a line of journalists. You waited for two hours. You took your chances, but you still managed to get in. So I was wondering if you could give a quick rundown of how you managed to do that when so many people appeared to be left outside. Uh, Did you glean any interesting information from being inside beyond what was reported in the news about this? Well, I I had a lot. There was a lot of interesting people watching because I I was there. uh, I'm I'm not part of this uh, journalist media circuit. So like nobody knew who I was. It. It was weird. Like it just, it's a total fluke. I'm, I'm, I'm about an hour away. I say, I'll just drive down and see what happens. I, I knew it was at one o'clock. So I left at 1030, uh, get there. I got there by 11. Uh, and I asked the, um, officer outside, like, you know, what are the chances of me getting in? And he says, oh, sl- slim to none. People have been, you know, here since first thing in the morning. Uh, you don't have credentials. So put your phone, put your computer away and don't bring it in. And I just said, what was the last word that you heard? <laughs> You know what? It doesn't matter because I had to close the other one. So I'll merge them and I'll edit it. Okay. But, um, so don't worry about that. But Julia, your, your question was, oh, okay. So David, no problem. Yeah. You were talking about that. Uh, you got there and um, there was little to no chance of getting in. And then I oh. heard you say that you didn't view yourself as um, one of the journalists. As oh, part okay, of that. So you, you missed the entire part about uh, a woman named Karen Turk that I met in line. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh my God, you met Karen? Yeah, so, so I, okay, look, so I know nobody. I'm not a journalist. I don't know these journalists. It's, it wasn't like I was going back to Ottawa live streaming there where by day two, everyone knew me and I, I sort of knew everybody. Uh, I get in there. I see the journalists mingling among themselves. I'm eavesdropping on their conversations. There was nothing juicy. It was just weird listening to, you know, l- l- these, these journalists who operate within their own 
ideological silo talk to each other. Um, but I heard one guy talk about the fact that he's now he's up to like four vaccines and, and all this stuff. It's nuts. It's nuts. Um, but then I'm, I'm standing next to a woman who I, I, it looked like people knew who she was and people were coming up to her. Anyway, it turns out her name is Karen Turk, uh, who's there to watch Judge Reinhardt because Karen Turk, this is all public and I'm not sharing any secrets. I had to look it up afterwards as well. Judge Reinhardt sentenced Karen Turk, for those who don't know, to 30 days in a federal detention center for a misdemeanor to which she pleaded guilty. Correct. I, I, I subsequently learned she's very political, supports Donald Trump, good friends with Roger Stone. The night before her sentencing, attended some fundra- political fundraiser. And Judge Reinhardt, where she pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor, she wasn't supposed to serve any jail time. Judge Reinhardt unilaterally sentences her to 30 days and says he wants to make an example out of her. So uh, th- that anecdote I thought was interesting to illustrate Reinhardt's clear, if not underlying political bias. But the thing that I found most amazing is that you know, he, he doesn't just have a political bias in this. He's got an ego self-preservation bias in this because like he said during the hearing, he issued the warrant because he thought there was probable cause. If the evidence comes out and says, if Reinhardt thought there was probable cause based on the dearth or an absence of evidence, well, his judgment is very questionable and then people are gonna look into why. So he's not just uh, politically motivated potentially in this based on what appears to be his history. He's got self-preservation motivation in all of this to make sure that this story gets crafted and drafted in a way that doesn't make him look like he's got very poor politically motivated judgment. Really excellent points. And that's why I found it so interesting to watch, um, to watch your, your YouTube feed on that. Because you did say, you know, I see everything that this judge does as tainted by political bias. It's not corruption. It's abuse of power. It is weaponizing the judicial and prosecutorial system. And then you also added, and I thought this is a fantastic point, it's unprecedented. So that means there needs to be an unprecedented level of transparency. And I definitely couldn't agree more. So a question that everyone's asking, and I've got to ask this, is should the FBI be defunded, peacefully dismantled, or both? And if not, you know, how do we solve this problem then? You know, corrupt government agency that's been weaponized to attack political opposition. It's what it was designed to do. I mean, it's what J. Edgar Hoover designed it to do. It's what he used it as for nearly 50 years. The issue is it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's an administrative construct. You know, the, the, the police powers of the state is a constitutional construct. This was an administrative an administrative body. It's got no legislative uh, uh, reason to exist. It's, it's grown like the proverbial blob, and it has always been politically motivated and not necessarily, you know, Democrat versus Republican. I'll, I'll even say just deep state objectives, you know, uh, the war machine objectives, the military industrial complex objectives, you know, justifying their own existence objectives. You know, like when there's, when there's no enemies to fight, at some point you have to create the enemies like that movie Unbreakable. And so you get your, you get your PatCon controversies. You get, you know, arguably your, your Whitmer entrapment controversies. You get the FBI creating the problems so they can justify their own existence to resolve those problems. But there's no, there's no constitutional reason for its existence. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. The, the last person who talked about uh, disbanding, dis, disbanding the FBI, it didn't, it didn't work well for him. But uh, I mean, to me, it seems obvious. I don't know what the FBI has been, has, has where their big uh, notches in the belt or feathers in the cap have, have come recently. Uh, I, can, I can just think of six examples of things that they seem to have been very involved in that went down and went down badly. And I can think of, uh, uh, you know, 
three or four concrete examples where their corruption tainted the entire process. Yeah, excellent points. And then you also made a point about, um, I just thought it was really funny, I wanted to add this, that the vast majority of law enforcement in Florida seems to be ex-New York cops. So I just had to quickly ask crypto if that was the case or where you where you came about with that. Crypto, is, is that is that is my observation correct? I mean, I, I, I'm good with access. Yeah. No, yeah, you are. And we have we have a lot of um, we have a lot of ex ex guys that did their 20 years up north and then came down here. Um, I know a lot of the school BSO, the, so the Broward Sheriff's Office, and the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. I know a lot of them are on their second 20. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, when you look at the PBSO and especially the Boca Raton Police Department, uh, Delray Police Department, Boynton Beach, um, a lot of them are from here, but you know, you will definitely see those guys there. Are, uh, you know, Viva's right. There's there's a lot of them that did their 20 up there and then they came down to retire and, you know, they hopped on the squad again. And uh, what better place to do it than Florida, right? And, and also, I just want to point out or highlight that I appreciate my own bias. Like I, I, I am operating off the underlying sentiment that Reinhold is Reinhardt is. I want to say corrupt. He's he's motivated in this case, like that. So, and therefore, perhaps everything I see in this is going to be a reflection of my own underlying bias. But I think I've got you know the the evidentiary support to justify the belief that uh, something smells very 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 fishy in this case. And past his prologue, you know, they, they tried the the FBI intelligence. Uh, they they funded or entertained that bogus Christopher Steele dossier. They leaked it to the media so the media could then leak it uh, and publish it so they can then use the publications to go to a court and say, look, the media report on this, it's got to be true, so let's move on it. They fabricated evidence via Kleinsmith and Carter Page. Uh, they have now at least entrapped two of four, if not four of four defendants in Whitmer. Uh, you know, at some point... Uh, their methods become so problematic that that becomes the problem. And I'm viewing everything that's going down now with that in mind. And I think justifiably so. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to Whitmer in a second. I know that Julia knows that very well. Um, you know, getting, getting to Reinhardt though, you know, it's, it's very interesting. So the 10 years that I was with DOJ, what would happen is we would do a search warrant. We may have an arrest warrant with her, maybe just a search warrant. And then it becomes sealed. No one talks about it. I think this is my own opinion and I haven't read it anywhere. So maybe it's already out there. I think when Garland went on TV and started responding to Trump, he essentially opened up the door he couldn't shut. Because what you normally do at DOJ is you just say, listen, there's an ongoing active investigation. We're not talking about it. The search warrant is sealed, right? The probable cause affidavit that's sealed. But all of a sudden Garland took the spot, took, took the position of, well, I signed off on it personally. And then these executives, they started talking about it. So like, so DOJ opened the door, then you have the Reinhardt issue come up. And then it's almost like DOJ opened the store that, that then got kicked open that they're trying to now close. They only want to give some of it when in reality, you don't give any of it. You give the search warrant to the person that you did the search on. You give them the inventory in return. And that's it. No one else gets to see anything. Everything else remains under seal. But Garland opened up his fucking mouth and now he's trying to close the door he opened. That's well, I mean, that's at least my thought on this. But the, the, the one step before that, I think, and this is the critical one, is Trump Trump talked about it. Like Trump went public with it. Where right. 
Right. Where they might have not, they might have thought Trump's not going to go public with it because it, it's too embarrassing. It'll be politically compromising, and they'll just do this in the dead of the night, and Trump will shut his face. I mean, I don't know who in their right mind did not know. It's not a question of predicting. Trump is going to fight this through the public, not on Twitter anymore, but he's going to fight this in the court of public opinion. So if anybody thought they would just like sweep this under the rug because Trump wouldn't make a big stink about it. That just goes to show you how how idiotic they are and how in their own in their own silo they live. But then once Trump makes it public, then people are like this is not a this is not like a I don't want to say a third world because it's it's a derogatory way of like this is not like East Europe. This is not we don't have Stasi and secret police raiding former political candidates and you know top rivals. This is not the the type, we're not a banana republic here. And then Merrick's got to say, oh, don't worry, we're not, a, we're not a banana republic. I signed off on it personally. Merrick Garland, the guy who might have something of a grudge against Trump <laughs> and Republicans in general, I signed right. off on it. And I found a magistrate to rubber stamp this. Oh, the magistrate happens to have a history defending Epstein and Epstein AL. And now it's like, yeah, once, it, once the door was opened, I think it was Trump that opened it. They didn't think he would do it. Now they're caught, you know, with their hands in their pants because uh, now everybody's seeing the dirty, dirty business that they're up to. And they've got to try to keep coming up with justifications for doing it. And now it's, you know, when for, they leaked nuclear, new, the, the risk of nuclear documents after Garland said he's not going to talk about it. Uh, so they've got to live off the fear, live off the, 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 the rumors, because I think the reality is going to show that this was nothing more than an absolute outright political hit job. All they want is an indictment so they can say twice, twice impeached and now indicted, uh, disqualified from office. Exactly. And when Trump opened that door, they should have simply said, listen, we don't talk about ongoing active investigations, yeah. but it, but instead they made their comments and then the door got kicked open yeah. and then now, now they want to close it. So um, question to you, Viva, and then I'm going to go back to Julia. Um, Trump, let's say Trump gets indicted. It seems everyone's kind of going there that, you know, whatever line we thought was going to be crossed has been crossed and they're going to cross it and they're going to indict him. Um, you know, Trump could very well be down here. He comes down in, in a couple months or I guess a couple months, a few months, who knows, for his for his winter home here. So he'll be within a couple miles of me and, you know, you know, 10, you know, 10, 15 miles of you. Um, you know what? You know what? If any, what's going to be the reaction when President Trump has to get booked in the into the Palm Beach County jail when that grand jury comes back with that true bill of indictment? Um, you know what? You know, what's the re, what's the reaction there? It had better have something. I mean, it's a joke. I just try to hypothesize, try to steal, man. What could possibly be in that indictment? Well, we know it's not nuclear codes. We know it's probably not nuclear documents. Uh, what it's going to be is a, is a NARA violation. He didn't give back documents that, that the, what do they call them? The uh, NARA is the National Archives uh, Something Act. What does the R stand for? The National Archives and Red... What, the, 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 the indictable offense to arrest or indict a former president is that he allegedly did not return government records, which is... which, which uh, People are going to be asking questions. How many documents does Obama have? How many documents does Bill Clinton have? Isn't there a process for discussing the return of allegedly you know, personal records versus presidential records? And even if that's the case, that's what you execute a warrant with 19 armed FBI agents on a former president's house, if they indict, it's going to be the last nail in their political coffin. People who 
might have been on the fence about this, and I don't know how there can be anybody left on the fence. They go with Russiagate hoax for, hoax for three years. That turns out not just to be nothing, it turns out to be a hoax. Then they go with the, the, an impeachment, the first one, on a basis that was thinner than a piece of paper to begin with. It doesn't go anywhere. Then they go with, I forget what happened next. And then the second impeachment, after he's out of office, I mean, they look like frothing, rabid political lunatics who have lost any and all credibility. And anybody with a fraction of a functioning brain will see it. And if they indict, it will be sealing the deal for anybody who has a remotely open mind left. Yeah, I definitely want to hit on free speech a little bit um, before we jump into the the Whitmer kidnapping plot or uh, fednapping plot, as Julie <laughs> Kelly has dubbed it. Um, I was amazed to see how many people seem to think the Alex Jones defamation trial was, you know, solely about Sandy Hook and Alex Jones, you know, rather than an early volley and an attempt to silence those that have views contrary to those in power. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on the broader issue or of the on the broader issue of opinion speech in general. It's it's an instant thing. I, I uh, you know, people say uh, free speech. You're either absolutely for it or absolutely against it, and you, know, you it should be limitless. But they don't really appreciate that you do have defamation limits to free speech. You have criminal harassment, true threats, etc. Um, what shocks me the most about the Alex Jones trial and the public sentiment of those who think it's justified or justifiable is the sheer ignorance of what people understand he actually said versus what he actually said. And it's not to justify anything of the impugned statements Jones said. I said at the time, these are stupid things to say. Uh, you know, it, it might be worth something in defamation, but not $50 million in defamation. It wasn't like he was out, people have the, the wrong impression that he was out day in and day out promoting this, the, the theory that they were crisis actors, that there were absolutely no dead children. And they don't understand what he actually did, which was maybe say two stupid things over a course of you know many years, uh, entertaining certain theories for the purposes of discussion, but consistently and repeatedly acknowledged the tragedy and, and ultimately apologized for the stupid things that he said at the time. What people don't understand is the broader impact of this. Nobody cared when Alex Jones was deplatformed from all of social media because they found a way to justify it to themselves uh, in their own minds. He's, he's dangerous. He's mean. He's, you know, he, he, he says stupid things. It's fine then to deplatform him. And then it just became uh, a, a, an epidemic. Uh, deplatforming anybody who posts uh, anti-COVID tweets. Uh, you know, the, Naomi Wolf. Uh, children's Defense has just been deplatformed from Instagram and Facebook. Uh, children's Health Defense. They didn't appreciate it that Alex Jones was the canary in the coal mine for unpersoning people with uh, controversial views when they've achieved a certain size, they don't appreciate what this trial is, which was find a way to default someone so they can't defend themselves, so that the only issue to deal with is the quantum, not culpability, uh, so that you can control misinformation. And that's what the prosecution, the, the plaintiff's lawyers said v verbatim. I, I can't remember verbatim. They said, this is about controlling misinformation. Uh, the plaintiff, Ms. Lewis, she said, I want to establish an era of truth. This was 10% about what he actually said and 90% about what he stood for, which is free speech, questioning official narrative. And what the government wants to do through this is set up a precedent where people get sentenced to massive amounts of punitive whatever damages uh, because what they said might have been offensive, but might have challenged the official it narrative. seems to be working already. Now, do you think a preponderance of the evidence, so i.e. 50.1% sure. Do you think that's too low of a bar to confiscate $45 million from a person? 
Well, they're going to reduce that because the, the 45 million punitive, yeah. I think it's capped at 750,000 or something. But um, well, the preponderance is for the, is for the, is for the, the, the conviction. It's not, it's a civil case. So it's not a conviction, but for the verdict. Um, but look, I, I mean, I, I could, I could even be led to believe that he caused them damages through the false statements. He ought to have verified a little more. I can even appreciate that. But you quantify it in a manner that's proportionate to the injury. You know, anybody who's, people have like equivocated what Alex Jones did to what the murderer did and, and equivocated the, any damages that they might have suffered from Alex Jones's flippant statements to the damages and emotional distress that they actually suffered at the hands of the killer. And, and, and worse yet, nobody talks about it the damages that they might have suffered due to the inaction or negligence by the school that didn't imp that didn't implement basic safety protocol to if not outright prevent at the very least mitigate the consequences of this type of thing but no it, maybe it's by design maybe it's because uh, you know people didn't ask the right questions but they go after alex jones as though he is the sole person responsible for all of this tragedy not the not the individual himself not the school for not having proper safety protocol and you know nothing else and it's convenient, and some do think it's just by design. Look over there, so we never have to address the fundamental safety deficiencies from that school who fail to implement what they ought to have implemented, what they were seemingly getting funding to implement, and uh, just you know control the dialogue that way. Right. I mean, the murderer didn't end up having to pay forty-five million, or you know whatever it ends up being, it still could be in the you know tens of millions. No, they, they sued Remington. I mean, they sued Remington. They, they the okay. one one plaintiff tried to sue the school. Nobody sued the school. They they tore down the school so that you know it, it, frustrating any ability to potentially look at deficiencies which might have led to change in other schools. No, none of that. It's go after the go after the gun manufacturers, bankrupt them in Connecticut. Go after Alex Jones, a man who I'll even grant that he said uh, very stupid, very insensitive things, whether or not under American law uh, that could possibly lead to defamation, emotional distress. I think it probably could not in the order of 45 million. But no, don't, don't look at don't look at meaningful issues that can actually prevent this or mitigate this in the future. Go after the gun manufacturers and go after big, bad Alex Jones because they're easy targets. Right. right. And, and they're then, going after after them for a gun that worked as advertised. Well, it's like a, right. wait, wait until they start doing people who who drive their cars into crowds of people. There is absolutely, absolutely no difference uh, from a legal standpoint. Of, uh, you know, go out, go sue the guy in Waukesha who who, who drove his vehicle into a, a crowd of people, killing them. He he made criminal use of a lawful product. Well, we can definitely get to to. I think it's I think it's Daryl Brooks. We'll get to him in a second. So I'm curious on that. That's a great point that you brought up, Viva. Um, just for Julia and 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 for Viva. Uh, my understanding for Connecticut, I don't practice there, but they have a they have a two x cap on punitive. So my understanding is that the compensatory was four million. The punitives will, will be capped around eight, and he'll have to pay twelve. So oh, again, but but no, you might be getting. I, I'm not sure what's going on in Connecticut. This one was in Texas where they got uh, four million on 4.5 million on the on the damages the IIED right. and then they then they right. 45 million on punitive but I think in, in Texas it's capped at, I don't know what it is but I think it came to 750,000 right so in Texas though it's 750,000 or 2x whatever's larger okay. so it's going to come out the same way so it's going to come out so yeah so I mean I think it's a little ridiculous still on, on that 12 million dollar end but you have people on cnn and you have all these pundits saying that it's absolutely ridiculous he's being he's being let off the hook but you know what you brought up a great point it it, it hopped in my mind and then i'm gonna go to julia and mark on this 
you brought up Daryl Brooks. Daryl Brooks, no one knows him. No one's going to know him. We know him because of this factor. If you have these crimes, these shooters, and whether they're shooters, drivers, whatever they may do, not Florida per se, but the United States, if you've noticed, Viva, we have a serious race problem. And we are hung up on race. I don't know why. I've been to other countries, but we are all about race here. And it seems, though, that with bail reforms happening in New York, happening in California, other places as well, where you can essentially rob, do a home invasion, you know, possibly kill someone and be out on bail the next day. Um, Daryl Brooks is a great example. You know, people in here probably don't remember him, but he was the guy coming off of the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting. He's the guy who was fleeing a domestic and was a black male in an autom- in an automobile, an SUV, and ran over a bunch of white people and, and killed some people. And you know what? The media didn't cover it. The media didn't care about it. It was like it never happened Be- because that driver was black. And Andrew, you have a serious... Go ahead. I, I, don't, I was going to say, I, I think I, my memory might be wrong, but I don't think he was fleeing a domestic. I think that was one of the excuses that the media gave at the beginning to almost try to attenuate the incident to make it look like an accident and not an act of deliberate targeted murder. He had, a, he had had a number of uh, very politically motivated posts on Facebook that they discovered afterwards. But in the early stages, uh, in order to downplay it, I think they, I think they were suggesting it was a, he was fleeing a domestic, he lost control of the vehicle, whatever, where that clearly wasn't the case. Um, it's, it's pathological in the media. Like, it, it's not just Daryl Brook. I mean, I forgot that that was his name. Uh, the, the Pulse nightclub shooter. Where they try to where they try to make it something that it's not, as though to mitigate the the horror of it, the the, the San Bernardino shooting, where they said it was a, an act of workplace violence and not terrorism. It's it's pathological dishonesty when it comes to the media. But setting that aside, yeah, the the, the race issues in the states are you know it's trickling up to Canada. Justin Trudeau's trying to you know d- divide Canada ethnically, racially, by gender, as much as we've seen politicians do it here in the states. But for me, the, you know, the, the amazing thing is you want to, they, they want to go after companies for the unlawful use of proper functioning products. I appreciate people think guns serve no other purpose than to kill humans. It's not, I appreciate that. I disagree with it. Uh, they have other purposes. They have other functions, self-defense, hunting. And so someone making unlawful use of a proper functioning lawful object and people are cheering, going off and bankrupting the company, will then do that to cars, do that to knives, do that to rat poison, do that to the lady who killed her husband with hydroxychloroquine fish, fish tank stuff, even though she never got charged. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no end to it. If they're going to go after the manufacturers for the proper functioning but criminal use of lawful products, I don't know what people, they can be so short-sighted to think, well, we'll it'll, it'll just stay limited to guns. And maybe it will, which would also show the political motivation of the debate. Yeah, so you know, uh, you mentioned the Pulse uh, nightclub shooter, and and I remember that, and I, I studied that case very very closely. Uh, if you recall the nine one one tape, okay, that the shooter made, he called up and he said, "This is a jihad attack. I'm here to kill all these gays," and you know, and make no mistake about it, this is a jihad. Uh, and the government did everything in their power to not get that that released, and I think ultimately it it, it still didn't. Uh, so you know. You know, where does free speech lie in there, you know, as far as the free press, the media, 
getting this stuff uh and you know like we you talk about waukesha you know the you know daryl brooks uh the media made that out to be a vehicle ran people over a vehicle did this you know it's it by just, the way, I'll, I, I just had to refresh my memory, but also the Orlando nightclub shooter, the Pulse shooter, his father was an FBI informant. It's just, it's amazing how these things, how these things happen. Yeah, just, it's, it, I just, I just get stuck on that is, is, you know, where is the media, uh, you know, when they're doing the narrative push versus the fact push. Uh, and it's just tough because it, it ultimately comes, also comes down to, uh, to race. And if it's if it's uh, you know a minority shooter or an Islamic attacker, uh, then it's then it's all buried. It's all about the object. Versus if it is a you know a white nationalist shooter or something like that, then it's all about no, white. And, and it's not it's not to downplay one or the other. It's just treat them equally. Right. The media doesn't do it. The question is why. Yeah. Very very good questions. Uh, we'll head back to uh, Julia if, if she's ready. Certainly. So I wanted to jump over to the, the Whitmer fednapping plot. Um, so it came out during this fednapping trial that's um, currently, um, currently occurring that an FBI supervisory agent, Henrik Impola, said to one of the FBI informants, we have a saying in my office, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. So to me, this brings up entrapment and malicious prosecution questions. Just wondering what your thoughts are on that, Viva. You, you, I, I got I got flack from friends and others for you know, entertaining the idea that it might have been entrapment early on. I, I do these weekly streams with Robert Barnes, and he he has a much better understanding of history, which makes him much more insightful at predicting the future. Uh, and we started, we were talking about it from early on. It's like, oh, it's an election. It's, it's November election. Out of the blue, this militia that nobody's ever heard of recruits these guys who people were calling them names at the beginning in terms of like undermining their capabilities. But a dude with no money living in the basement of a vacuum shop uh, and talking about uh, getting a helicopter and kidnapping the governor of, of, of Michigan. I mean, it, it, it sounded fishy from the beginning. And then as more details came out, it became fishier and fishier. And, and, you know, then at some point it became so fishy that even BuzzFeed, you know, had to, had to write an article ostensibly normalizing entrapment where they're like saying, yeah, there's, there, sure, there's more, there's more informants and FBI agents involved in foiling this plot than, alleg than alleged defendants. And the informants have a, an active role in procuring stuff, uh, organizing stuff, training individuals. And then at some point they're like, okay, yeah, at what point does this become entrapment of vulnerable, call them unsavory characters, but vulnerable people who are always high, apparently, from the, from the most recent trial. The, the defendant always high, got high, the agent smoked weed with him. Uh, you know, the, the, the fantastical uh, uh, imaginings of a high individual who's being egged on by FBI informants who are offering to give him credit cards to buy arms, to buy weapons because he couldn't do it on his own. At some point, people have to ask themselves, are, are, they, are they foiling it or are they setting it up? Uh, in this case, I think easily crossed the line. Um, and uh, we'll just see if, it, you know, we'll see what a verdict shows. But uh, it also just shows a bit of the MO uh, of the FBI. And it's like, yeah, it, it causes everything to be tainted and it causes people to question everything 
And the issue is how do you just reestablish credibility and faith in these institutions in as much as it might not be possible? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because at least one of the primary targets was um, one of the informants was Adam Fox, who was at the time living in a dilapidated cellar of a vacuum repair shop without running water or a toilet. And that was, of course, at the Grand Rapids Strip Mall. So just wanted to point out that in April, the prosecutors failed to win a single conviction. And of course, this was in one of the government's biggest domestic terror investigations in decades. And they actually ended up acquitting two men on every count after defense attorneys successfully argued their clients were entrapped by the FBI. They didn't reach a verdict on the two other men. That's Adam Fox and Barry Croft, who are facing a second trial. So I'm glad you brought up the the smoking pot um, point because, you know, FBI informants were indeed smoking pot while they recorded impaired conversations that they would eventually use against one of the defendants. They were also taking defendants to eat, taking them on excursions, and perhaps most shocking of all, one informant actually even shared the same hotel room, and this was with defendant Barry Croft, during a weekend excursion in Wisconsin, and that was according to testimony by an FBI agent last week. The yeah. agent actually admitted they never heard before of such an arrangement between the informant and it. So I'm just wondering, what do you think of all of that? Does this not sound like a movie to you? It sounds like a bad movie. I mean, but now, now I go back and look at movies like Donnie Brasco, and I say, like, at what point do they cross the line? Smoking weed with them, uh, and, then, and then recording the conversations. I haven't done it in a long time, but I, you know, I, I think I remember what weed does to you and it makes you, you know, have ridiculous thoughts, uh, the, uh, potential honey potting. You're talking about loners who, who don't have money, who might not have friends. And now they're, they have a, I don't know what the, the FBI agent looks like. I presume, you know, might shoot. a woman paying attention to this guy can get people to also do stupid things. Uh, one of the informants was, was offering paid credit cards to the defendants. To, so they could buy, so they could then go out and buy stuff that they couldn't otherwise buy, and I mean, yeah, you have to ask what the hell is going on? The, these people, the the alleged defendants, other than sitting around drinking beer, smoking weed, talking about getting a helicopter and getting Whitmore, that would have never, by anyone's account, done this, but for the active instigation of FBI informants who are making a, a, a decent living doing this. One of the FBI informants there had been getting paid tens of thousands of dollars in cash, uh, computer reimbursed, all this stuff. It's, 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 it, the, one of the informants said he made more in a few months being an informant than in an entire year of his ordinary job. This, this looks like a criminal enterprise and someone's going to have to work very hard to convince me that it's not. And then you've got, um, I'm being to, to J6, just because of the con- like slight connection here that, you know, and I saw this from your Twitter feed, actually, that documentarian Ford Fisher was digging through J6 footage and he discovered something he didn't know he had captured. He said on the Capitol East side, Capitol Police Lieutenant Tariq Khalid Johnson is in my footage wearing a MAGA hat and shouting into a bullhorn. So, I mean, I'm not- uh, well, not just that. One, one of the field officers from the FBI from the Whitmer case is working in the uh, January 6th investigation. It's a big incestuous club and we ain't in it <laughs> to modify the George Carlin quote. At some point, you know, people have to stop saying, you know, these are just conspiracy theories when there's all this evidence out there. Uh, yeah. my, 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 my modern take on conspiracy theories is it's like magic for kids. Magic for kids blows their mind. But as an adult, it's not magic anymore because you know exactly how it happens. These are conspiracy theories to people who don't understand how things actually work, who don't have the actual information as to what has happened in recent memory. It's not just like not talking about Operation Northwoods, Operation Paperclip, Operation Mockingbird. MK. We're not talking about like stuff that's decades old in recent memory. People who 
reflexively refer to these things as conspiracy theories. They just don't understand the basic mechanics. They don't understand the basic facts. And it's all magical fantasy to them. And it's the most frustrating thing is trying to make them understand that it's not just conspiracy theory. It's proven fact. It's happened time and time again. And it will happen again in the future in the absence of a very watchful eye of a very vigilant populace. Well said. It's just so hard getting through to brainwash people. So yeah. before we end, just wanted to ask just a couple of quick, uh, more, hopefully more fun questions. Uh, you mentioned that you rescued a blind Westie during COVID, if I heard that correctly, on one of your videos. I think his yep. name is Winston. Yep. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit of that story. Well, I, so I'm a dog person. I've grown up with, I mean, a nine or 10 dogs. Uh, I, I, we had a French bulldog that we got from a breeder who had some serious behavioral disorders and we had to give him back to the breeder. Uh, and I wanted another dog, but I was not going to go back to a breeder to get a pure breed because I have not had good experiences. So we, uh, we put ourselves on a waiting list and we ended up getting, uh, a, as a puppy, from a good breeder, the dog was just born with something called Lenticonus lentiglobus and basically blind. Uh, and I mean, I, I, we have a paralyzed puggle as well uh, who's paralyzed in the back leg. So we're, we're able to deal with these types of uh, inconvenient pets, so to speak. Like, they, you know, they, they pee on the house and they're a little harder to deal with, but it doesn't Aww. bother us. And, and we love them. And, and uh, so we got this dog to keep the other one company. And uh, his name is Winston, uh, named after my favorite bull mastiff that I had when I was a kid. And the um, main, uh, what's the word? Protagonist from 1984, because we are definitely living through, through 1984 times these days. Wow. That's, uh, that's great. I mean, not the living through 1984, but where you got the names from. So I ha and I got to ask this one because, um, us Northerners, you know, crypto will frequently send us videos of the iguanas down there. And I know that you recently moved to Florida. I think a lot of conservatives were cheering that move. Are you seeing a lot of iguanas down there? It's nuts. The iguanas now have become like the squirrels up, up, up Northeast. <laughs> wow. Yes. And they're so monsters. Oh, say they it Oh, hold on. I'll say they're monstrous. They're everywhere. But it's not just, it's not the, there's iguanas, there's lizards. I went jogging yesterday. I saw a deer. I saw an iguana that was easily twice the size of my dog. Uh, the other day I saw an alligator. I was, I was walking up to an iguana that was by one of these ponds and I didn't notice a six foot alligator behind it. The alligator gets scared off and runs <laughs> into the water. This place is like, Florida is like the Australia of North America. Snakes. Iguana, everything. It's, it's magnificent. So the iguanas, would you say those are worse than the FBI infestation or? <laughs> well, they're not native to the land. So the, <laughs> I mean, they've, okay. I, uh, there, there are okay. many jokes in there. No, the, the iguanas are, they're phenomenally beautiful. Uh, they're everywhere. You see them getting run over on the streets, unfortunately. Um, but no, the, the wildlife here is beautiful. I saw uh, an egret eating a fish. You see the herons looking to hunt for frogs. It, this it's other than the fact that it's a little hot during the day. Uh, it's just, Florida is immensely beautiful. Little flat could use some mountains. I'll probably miss winter, but right now the novelty of these, this wildlife is really just blowing my mind. Hey, Viva, I, I just, uh, really is just starting to immerse myself in your work. I jumped on YouTube and, uh, I see your big fisherman. I also am a big fisherman, also a YouTuber, right? Uh, and, you got incredible numbers. You're killing it. Many of your videos have over a million or a few million. 
you have more than half a million uh, followers or subscribers. I think that's incredible. But the one video that I had to look at and I had to watch uh, was you five years ago catching that very large smallmouth bass with your drone with a, with a uh, jitterbug. And people, that's a, that's a topwater lure. Uh, you did incredible. It was a big fish. Your excitement, I could feel it because I'm a fisherman and you were out of breath. You ran all the way across the yard. Uh, but just tell us about the YouTube, you know, channel, but definitely tell us about fishing. Well, so the, 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 the a number of videos have like well over a million views, but those were like back in the day when videos could go organically viral. And right. now I've focused on law stuff. So, you know, I don't, don't get really a million views on the law stuff, but you get a lot, but it doesn't matter. The, the views are not the issue. It's about, it's about having, you know, uh, uh, getting, getting purpose out of the product, but out of what I produce. But that, that video, it's a top five moment of my life. Like I, I've had kids <laughs> and I caught, a, I caught a bass. You, on a you were, you were, you you were so excited, so out of breath. What, would you cover about a hundred yards and you're screaming? Is that your wife, your girlfriend, you're screaming for her? No, I, I had been I had been doing that with the drone for like twenty minutes at a time for days on end. I didn't think it was possible, and it, I mean everything worked. I got the angle. I saw, you know, the fish was jumping out of the water. It, it was the most exhilarating moment of, of my life. And th this was up in Canada, where next to my wife's my mother in law's place, a, a relative lives next door, and she heard me screaming, and she thought it was something bad. And she came running out of the shower in a towel, like what, said, what's happening? And I'm running up there like an absolute maniac with a GoPro on my head, a, a smallmouth bass in my hands, running up to the house to show my wife like a 10-year-old like a kid. And then I ran back and put it in the water. It, top five moments of my life. It's called drone bass fishing for anyone watching. Put that in the, the search engine and you'll find it. That's awesome, Viva. So um, we are going to wrap up, but as we do, just just one quick advice from one Floridian to another: the iguanas. Because I keep on sending Mark and Julia all of the videos that I have at work, and then just at my house and where they are, and they're massive. And uh, you do know though that when it gets and it does get a little cooler here, you know, we'll have like two days of winter, right? So like for two days, it'll be sixty-five. Um, but when it does, when we do, when we have those two days, the iguanas will fall out of the trees. So when oh. you go for your, so when you go jogging, make sure you're not getting those uh, ten pounders on you. I, I'm waiting for that to happen, not so I can take pleasure in the discomfort of the animal. I'm going to record that, and that video is going to go viral. I've got it planned in my head already. Oh God! It, yes, I could absolutely see it happening. So, uh, Viva, want to thank you so much. Uh, we're going to close out, and we're going to give the last minute to you for people that don't follow you on Twitter or on YouTube. Where can they find you? And um, you know, just an absolute pleasure. So, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much. So, platforms are all Viva Fry, V I V A F R E I, YouTube, Rumble, uh, Instagram for highlights. On Twitter, it's a bit of a sassier Viva Fry. It's the Viva Fry. And it's a little, it's a little, I will say harsher tone, but it's a little more direct just because we have limited characters, uh, you know, with which to get the message across. And Robert Barnes and I do the weekly, uh, bi-weekly live streams and much more than that. But we have a, a, a community on locals called vivabarneslaw.locals.com. Uh, it's a great community. So those are the places where you can find me. And uh, for everything else, I mean, just keep, stay vigilant, stay civil and, um, keep paying attention to what's going on around us. Indeed. David, thank you so much. Have a great night, sir. And we will see you online soon. Thank you very much. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up and I'm going to uh, merge the two and uh, get work on the editing. So I will talk to everyone in a little bit. For those that came in the live cast, thank you so much. It was great seeing you. And for Podbean, if you're listening, you guys suck. Uh, I don't know why you give me issues, <laughs> but you give me issues every time.